Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Grace. Let's go back to those words, to the questions. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Jesus is asking those questions to you, to me. And he wants to know the answer. He, he wants to know your honest answer. Are you tired? Yeah, I really am. Are you worn out? Definitely. And worn down, I'm at the end of myself. Are you burned out on religion? At times, it just all feels like an obligation. Can I add a few questions? Are you in a hurry? Usually. Are you constantly producing and achieving? Every day. Are you anxious? Yep, constant low-level anxiety is right beneath the surface of every thought I have and action I take. Come to me, Jesus says. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're burdened by anxiety or overwork or sorrow or anything, come to me. Jesus is extending a warm invitation to all who sense need. Everybody. That means you. No matter your past, your hopes for the future, no matter where you're at presently, Jesus' invitation is for you. Do you sense your need? A need for a different pace? A need for a different way to live and be human? A need to walk by the Spirit? This is you. Come to me, Jesus says. And then listen to what he says next. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Doesn't that sound good? To recover your life? To take a real rest? I don't even know what a real rest is, but it sounds awesome and I know I need it. Walk with me. There's that word walk again. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, Come close to me. Watch what I do. Learn from me. Let me model for you a free and light life, a life of walking by the Spirit. And after you watch me, after I model it for you, 
And after you practice it alongside me for a while, I want you to do what I do. Live the way I live. Go at the pace I go. Jesus is inviting us into a new way to be human. The way to be human. The way of walking by the Spirit. And so here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time this morning. We are going to look at the way of Jesus. The way he lived his life. And we're not going to look at the preaching and the miracles, right? The mountaintops. And we're not going to primarily look at his suffering and his journey to the cross, his valleys. We're going to look at the in-between moments. The ordinary and mundane moments in Jesus' life. Because if you remember from last week, walking is where most of life is lived. And it's in those ordinary moments and relationships that God meets us where his spirit transforms us. And I believe in the ordinary moments of Jesus that there are practices where we can recover our life. We can look at the life of Jesus and we can learn how to live freely and lightly. Learn to how, learn how to walk. So let's go to those moments It's an ordinary Saturday afternoon. The sun is shining. It's hot outside. And Jesus is out for a walk with his friends, enjoying each other, probably laughing, having some conversations. And they're walking in the grain fields, kind of like you probably do with your friends in the cornfields in Iowa when they're up. Maybe. It's Sabbath. And in this story in Mark chapter 2, it's one of the many times that Jesus practices Sabbath in his life. An entire day each week to stop, to slow down, to rest, to delight with God and others. But the religious leaders of the day didn't like how Jesus was practicing Sabbath. He didn't, they didn't like how he was celebrating the day. And they got, up with, got upset with him. And here's how Jesus responded in Mark chapter 2. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You've probably heard this before, right? The Sabbath, that day of rest, is a gift from God to you and to me. A gift to enjoy and to celebrate. But we don't enjoy it. We don't practice it. And you may be thinking right now, Sam, I want something new. I saw your email this morning about how to walk by the Spirit, and I want something I've never heard about before. I want something fresh. I know about Sabbath. I've been taught Sabbath my whole life. I've tried it out, and it just doesn't really work for me. I like the idea of Sabbath. It's just not realistic in my life right now and what all I got going on. I understand your thinking, and Sabbath is definitely not new. It might be the oldest spiritual practice in the book. God did rest on the seventh day. 
And if God can rest, I think we can too. So let's see if just for a moment, if I can reframe Sabbath for us. Let's imagine that we are Israel in Egypt. Can we go back there? Can we picture that? That you're a slave working day after day after day. No breaks, no rests, no worship, no delight. Exhausted, always producing bricks. Worn out, building more storehouses. Hurried, gathering straw to meet the quota for the day. Anxious about Pharaoh's response when you don't meet his expectations. And this goes on each day for 400 years. And finally, you're set free. God hears your cries. He raises up Moses. You cross the Red Sea and you come to Mount Sinai. And you're tired from slavery and running from the Egyptian army. You're hurrying around, counting your children and family, making sure everyone made it out. And you're anxious about what comes next. You're exhausted in every way. And then Moses goes up the mountain to hear from God and receives the Ten Commandments. Are you with me? Can you picture yourself at the mountain? And then Moses comes down and he begins to read the law and he gets to the fourth commandment and he reads these words. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Can you imagine the joy, the delight, the overwhelming gift of Sabbath to a people who have worked seven days a week for 400 years? A day to not do any work? A day to remember God saved them. And for the very first time in Israel's life, their worth was not tied to their work. It was tied to the God who saved them. His redemption in their lives, his work. For Israel, Sabbath was a real rest desperately needed to restore their lives. And honestly, it's probably not too difficult to imagine this situation for ourselves. And hear me, I'm not saying that our experience is anything like 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So just hear that. But I do think we have taskmasters. Our own ambition. Cultural and systemic pressure to perform. 
the whispers from the enemy that we aren't good enough and that we need more, we got to work more, we got to do more, we got to achieve more. Notifications that push us to buy, respond, and scroll. It feels like we are working day after day after day with no rest at all. And if you're feeling this even just a little bit, or if you've ever felt this in your life or in this semester, can you imagine if God came to you in this moment and looked you in the eyes and he said, stop working, take a rest, have some fun, worship me. I love you for who you are, not what you do. He did say those things. It's called Sabbath. Rich Viadas, in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, writes this. Sabbath keeping might be the greatest sign of grace because it's while we are intentionally accomplishing nothing that God loves us. I think that's a word for someone in this room this morning, that while you intentionally accomplish nothing, God loves you. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to achieve in order to gain God's affection. He loves you and he's proud that you're his kid. And Sabbath is a weekly reminder of that. It's a weekly way to slow down and walk by the Spirit. So how do we practice it? How do we actually do this in our lives? Well, first we must stop. Right? If you're interested in how to practice Sabbath, here's a framework. This isn't new to me. This is everywhere. But first we must stop. The word Sabbath actually comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. So the practical thing for you is to ask yourself, what will I stop? What things in your life produce anxiety, overwork, or worry? Stop them for one day. Stop working, stop doing homework, stop using social media. The second thing we're called to rest. Engage in activities that restore and replenish your soul. Sleep in. Eat good food, take a nap, exercise, or if that does not sound like rest, don't. Third, we're called to delight. The word Shabbat, again, can also be translated to delight, to delight in what fills your soul with full joy. So another practical step. This one's my favorite. Make a list of all the things that bring you joy. Ask yourself, what brings me joy and delight? And do them. If Skittles bring you joy, eat them on the Sabbath. If you're married and sex is a delight, have sex on the Sabbath. If an intentional conversation with a good friend brings you joy, have a long, unhurried conversation on the Sabbath. Do what brings you joy. And finally, worship. Spend time with God at church or reading his word, or going on a walk, 
or sitting in the quiet or just with friends. Just be with God and let him love you. Stop, rest, delight, worship. Sabbath. What's another practice from the life of Jesus? Solitude. Uninterrupted time with God. And if you're thinking about Sabbath still and like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't really like, that's just impossible. We'll get there in a few minutes. Don't worry. I'll, I'll try to give you some tips on, on how to really do it as well. But solitude, uninterrupted time with God. Look how Jesus modeled this in his life and all the in-between moments. Jesus began his ministry with 40 days of solitude. Before he chose the 12 disciples, he spent an entire night alone in the desert. When he heard John the Baptist died, he withdrew to a lonely place. After feeding the 5,000, he went to the hills by himself. In Mark 1, after a night of ministry, he went out alone. In Luke 5, after he healed a leper, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. In Matthew 17, with three disciples, he sought out silence on a mountain. And as he prepared for the cross, he sought the solitude of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus practiced solitude regularly. And it's not like Jesus had tons of time on his hands. He was God. He was busy. And if you read the Gospels, though, you'll find that Jesus often went to be alone with God before or after intense times of work and ministry. He did it in the midst of all of it. Jesus understood the value and need for time alone with God. Do you? And solitude is kind of a scary word, right? We don't always like to be alone. It's, it's, it's frightening. But here's what solitude is. Really, it's just listening to God's voice and pouring out your own. It's listening to God's voice through reading his word, through sitting quietly. Maybe you don't have tons of time to do it. Well, in the shower, you're usually alone. Listen to God in the shower. Walk on your walk to class your commute to work. Or maybe there's a few close friends in your inner circle that you just want to seek and listen God, for God together. And solitude is pouring out your voice. It's talking to God. Tell him you're tired. Ask him for help. Cry out for others. Tell him your frustrations and your doubts and your anxieties. Tell him anything. Write it. Say it. Or just simply think it. And here's what happens in these moments of solitude. You are seen, you are heard, you are known, and you are loved. And if we're honest, that's really what each of us truly long for. And I think much of why we overwork and go fast is with the hope that we catch someone else's attention, with the hope that they might see us, that they might listen to us, that they might be drawn to us and get to know us. And if we do enough, they might even love us. But here's the thing, when we're overworking, we're often grabbing for the attention of others. But when we walk, we know we have the attention of God. 
And solitude helps us walk. It helps us know we have a God who sees us, hears us, knows us, and deeply loves us. Solitude creates space for that, the reality, to sink deep in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies. So practice solitude. Set a time and a place for intentional solitude each day. The morning's a great time for it. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe it's not realistic. Maybe you can't do each day. Start with one or two days a week. Start with where you're at. And maybe you don't have a long length of time you can do it. Build many solitude times into your day. Take a breath before you walk out the door for class. Eat breakfast slowly. Seriously, do that. I think that might be one of the most powerful spiritual disciplines you could ever do. And you may be thinking right now, yeah, I want Sabbath. Yeah, I want solitude. I just don't have time. How do I make time? What does that look like? Here's what I want to do to end. I want to give us just a few rapid fire practices from Jesus's life. And how Jesus did these um, and how they enabled Jesus to give his time to what matters most. Here's the first thing. Jesus only had a few deep relationships. Jesus had lots of followers, but he only had 12 he was close to, his disciples. And of those 12, only three of them were in Jesus's inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Jesus did not do everything he could have. He did not help everybody. There's a story in John 5 where Jesus is at a pool and there's a ton of blind, sick, and lame people. Jesus only heals one of them. And Jesus lived within his human limits. In Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman comes to him and asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And this is what Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Basically, she's saying, it's not my role or responsibility. I'm not going to do it. Now, the woman kept prying and showed deep faith, and Jesus ended up doing. But still, he was always intentionally discerning what God wanted him to do or not to do. Jesus even says in the Gospel of John, I only do what I see the Father doing. And here's the simple point. You can't go deep with everyone. You can't help and please everyone. You can't say yes to everyone and everything. You are human and that is okay. Walking with the Spirit is living within your human limitation. Let me try to make this practical and and then we'll be done. Let me try to make this practical. I want to give you a quick illustration and a practice. Um, So I'm leading a trip to Cambodia this winter. And part of the, if, you're, if you're going on this trip, there, there are five or six t- team meetings that we have to have. W- one of the members of the team wasn't able to make the second one. And, and then we had the third one, and he declined the invitation to come to the third one. And it's important that you're at these meetings. So I email the student, and I say, uh, I say, hey, it's really important that we're growing as a team, that we're learning about the culture. Why aren't you available to make it? And this is the email I got back. Listen to this. I have my small group And then after, I have an important phone call scheduled with a friend. I'm not able to make the meeting. I love this response. The student had three events conflicting on his calendar, all important, all pulling at his time, all spiritual, community, 
encouraging a friend, learning about and praying for Cambodia. So how did he decide? First, he realized he couldn't do all three, that he was human. So he had to be honest and say no to someone. Second, he considered what he needed, what was restorative for his mind, his body, and his soul. And finally, he considered what God wanted him to do or not do. And usually what we truly and deeply need will always line up with what God wants for our life. We just have to slow down and walk long enough to consider what we need and what God wants. So here's the practice, and then we'll sing a song. Say no to something. More than that, say no to something that you do on a weekly basis. Get a weekly commitment off of your calendar. And, and you might, well, what, what, how do I do that? Well, consider with God, what do you need? What's restorative to your mind, body, and soul? And what does God want? Because if you long for Sabbath, if you long for solitude, if you long to walk by the Spirit, then you will make time for what's most important in your life. And if you don't want that, you won't make time. So get rid of one thing. Because your deep need always lines up with what God wants for your life. Sabbath, solitude, embracing your human limits, and making time for what Matt, what's most important. It's what Jesus did, and it's he, what he wants us to learn so that we can restore our lives, take a deep rest, live freely and lightly, and walk by the Spirit. So as you do these things, as you practice, start with where you're at. Maybe you can't give up a whole day on Sabbath. Start with four hours. Start with eight. Do what you can do. Remember that these practices are a means to an end, and the end is God's presence. Practices don't change you. Sabbath doesn't change you. Reading your Bible doesn't change you. God does. And they are to open spiritual practices or to create a space where you can encounter God. And the last one is have grace on yourself. Grace upon grace upon grace. You will fail. You will get distracted. But what Jesus is doing, he's saying, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. I'm here. I'm always here because I want you to have a free and light 